Make up your life to start anew. You'll find out some things to be true. Like you are stronger than you once knew. Hi, I'm Lenora Calaruso. Has your journey towards health and wellness been a rocky road? Mine sure was. Plus, I have a busy life as a mother of five, a grandmother of two, an RN, a personal trainer, Reiki master, and a nutritional counselor. Whew! How do I fit it all in? Well, it's balance. Think, you know, Goldilocks and the three bears. Not too much of something and not too little. Just right. My podcast is designed to inspire you towards that next step of achieving and maintaining everlasting health and wellness. Welcome to It's a New Dawn for You. You pack up your life to start anew. You'll find out some things to be true. It's a New Dawn for You, which is the name of my business and podcast, came to me while meditating. My sister-in-law Dawn had died a couple of years before, and to say I was close to her is an understatement. She was my best friend, my confidant, pretty much my everything. The meaning of the name is my firm belief that there is always a new day, a new beginning to try again. And I felt it was Dawn giving me a message loud and clear that the name was perfect. Today's guest is Christine Lisa. I met Christine while I was a student of Prana Yoga in 2017. She was an assistant in the program helping the students in learning the modalities of Prana Yoga. I felt her positive energy right away. I very rarely go to yoga classes away from home because for those of you in the audience who don't know, I have a major hearing disability. So going to classes in in other studios is sort of out of the question for me. But when Chris was teaching a class, I knew I needed to go. I kid you not, as she taught, a white light shone around her, radiating. She is a beautiful, wonderful soul, inside and out, and I'm honored to have her as a guest on my podcast today. Christine Lisa worked for 20 years for a global consulting company. She now teaches yoga and is a graduate of Prana Yoga Teacher Training Program at Princeton Center for Yoga and Health, where she is currently serving as a member of its facility. Her current studies are in yoga therapy, mindfulness, and music. Welcome, Christine. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. Tell me a little bit about your story and what led you to yoga. So what's interesting and and sort of it kind of leads into sort of the myth about what yoga is about. What led me to yoga was that I thought it would be a great way to release tight muscles, which it, it can be. Um, I already had a strength training routine that I did free weight training from actually going back to high school. And I had a cardio routine, not that I really enjoyed cardio, but I knew it was important for cardiovascular health. And I had a mindfulness practice at that time. It was Tai Chi. Uh, I was still in the corporate world and I wanted something for stress relief. 
and there was something that was offered in my local community adult education uh, program. So um, that was my mindfulness practice. And I had dabbled a little bit in yoga before through some classes at a gym that I belonged to, um, some DVDs that I had on, and did some practices at home. But it was, I, it was a beginning of 2009, I switched to a different gym, which offered Tai Chi, and I took those classes, but they offered yoga classes as well, and it's part of my membership. It's like, well, you know, let's give this another try. So whether I was at a different point in my life, but it spoke to me differently. I also I had a wonderful teacher, um, Pam Kofsky, who sort of was that person who lit the path in a sense for me. So I found out that yoga was more than stretching your muscles, that you know, there, there is that component. There is strength training as well within yoga, but it's so much more than just the physical practice. And I remember that feeling of peace and ease that I felt at the end of a yoga class after relaxation, Shavasana, which is pretty typical in most yoga classes. Did that you are get offered. that right away? Did you feel You know like what? I in at in this class I did and that's extraordinary because that a lot of it people, was like what know. is that? Mm-hmm. And and that's really what got me hooked. And Sometimes that feeling of, and that was the other thing too, is that feeling of peace that I felt, it, I felt that off of the mat as well. Now, maybe it lasted for the day, maybe just a few hours, maybe certain days, maybe just five minutes. Um, but that what, really what kept me coming back to my mat. And then through the course of the journey, I found out that yoga was much more than the physical practice. Mm-hmm. And what year was that? That was so the, I'd say that that shift when my practice became serious for that aha moment was in 2009. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was in my early 40s. So Tai Chi was my, my first mindfulness practice I came to in my 30s. So it's interesting when I think about the evolution of sort of my, um, wellness in my 20s and 30s really wellness really surrounded around practices that were physical so the strength training which also has a a sense of empowerment um and you know cardiovascular types of things um but um 20s and 30s is more about the physical body as I shifted into like later 30s, 40s, it became more about the the mental body, the intellectual body. So um, that was really where my practices started to lead in my 40s. And now in my 50s, I can see the shift of into the the spiritual body, I guess you could say. So the physical element is still there to maintain what I have, the mobility, strength, and such. Um, but where my head is at is really more on the mindfulness practices, the mental body, intellectual body, and spiritual body. So I'd like to ask you, I don't think I heard anything about aesthetics um, when you were younger, as far as when you were practicing. I don't feel like you had the big ego thing flashing because I know that with evolving in yoga, 
I mean, I did it too when I was younger. It was like looking around the room and, oh my God, can I hold warrior as long as the, the other people? And how do I look? And strengthening my body and looking quote unquote hot, I guess. I don't know. But I didn't really hear that from you. Did you ever have that in your head or is it just... We, in the beginning of my yoga practice, I really thought that the goals were physical. This is before I really did any deep study of yoga before my teacher training. And so I thought that the way that you advanced your practice was by learning the intermediate and advanced postures. And meaning. Meaning. So like in the beginning, I was like, oh, you know, I want to learn headstand or I want to learn handstand. So in the beginning, it was about the, the physical practice. But then the more that I learned and, and studying the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, and I found out that out of the 196 sutras, there's only well, for three. For those who don't know about the sutras. So um, sutras are short verses. You could look at Patanjali Yoga Sutras as a, a roadmap for well-being. So most people, when they think of a yoga practice, they automatically think of the physical practice, the postures. And, you know, like everyone else, I, I like to look at the pretty photos of people in these postures, in these um, asanas, in these beautiful locations. But the, the physical practice is such a tiny portion of Patanjali Yoga Sutras. Out of the 196 Yoga Sutras, sutras are sort of like short statements in a sense. There's only three that even talk about the, the physical practice. And really in a nutshell, what they say is that you should have sukha and stira, steadiness and ease. They don't mention any posture by name. And you know, in the beginning still, I was trying to learn some of these postures, but I got to a certain point, especially I came to yoga later. I came into yoga to my early 40s. And I got to a point where it's, you know what? The risks outweighed the reward of the posture. So in the beginning where I was trying to learn headstand and some of the preparatory poses for headstand and handstand, I'm like, you know what? What is motivating that? And ego Ego. was motivating that (laughs) because it's like I... I didn't need that posture to experience the goal of yoga and really the why risk the injury mm-hmm. when the posture has nothing to do with the practice mm-hmm. and there are so many other parts of the physical practice that are much more accessible and and I really also believe in sort of practicing what I teach so I've actually tried to cut back now on some of the posts that I have. I, in the beginning, I would post things like wheel pose with one leg in the air and things like that, because I don't want to sort of put out there that, oh, that this is what yoga is about. And, and the other thing that I'm really being trying to consciously avoid when I talk about the practice or when I'm in a class, when I say about going deeper into a pose Deeper doesn't necessarily mean physically. Mm-hmm. Deeper can be energetically. Mm-hmm. It can be emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It does. It 
there might not be anything that physically changes in the pose, but you can go deeper within. Mm -hmm. And I think so many people say, oh, this person has a deep practice. And, but they automatically think of a deep practice by this, these advanced postures, scorpion and handstand and these different types of things that are really only accessible to a certain small percentage of the population. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to really be conscious about not um, using that word deepen in a sense. I always caveat in a class saying, when I say deeper into pose doesn't necessarily mean that you're changing anything physically. It Mm -hmm. can be all internal, might not be anything that's visible on the outside. Mm -hmm. So um, I did kind of wrestle a little bit with that about about the postures in the beginning. Um, But then when I realized, you know, what was motivating me here, um, sort of there that was again part of the the evolution of my practice and that uh, that was true for me too that's why i'm nodding a lot because for me in the beginning i i started i think it was 39 and almost 55 now but um it definitely started out where oh my god looking around the room and sweating and hot yoga and, and let me make clear there's nothing wrong with vinyasa and you know right. working hard in your yoga class but being involved now so not about the ego for me and you I'm going to go off the beaten track a little bit I had some questions but um you had written something on Facebook and it resonated with me because I had written a blog about restorative yoga um and it wasn't about restorative yoga per se your what you wrote but I can't even forbade him. I can't, but it was about being quiet and uh, pretty much about what you just said that the practice being very deep. Do you know? Do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, you can I elaborate do. on that a I little do. bit. Um, let's see if I remember <laughs> where to I was inspired spot, at the moment. It was a really well written. Um, it, and it had to do with that about the about having a deep practice and a deep practice. Your only pose can be Shavasana, mm. that uh, relaxation pose. Again, it has nothing to do with the practice. And, and they say they call Shavasana the master pose because the hardest muscle to control is the mind. And really, that there is what most of the roadmap within the Yoga Sutras is about. It's about removing the obstacles along our path. So, and our biggest obstacle is our, our mind, our ego and, and, you know, our negative thoughts. So, um, those types of practices. So, um, so yeah, so that was the, the, the goal of yoga has nothing to do with the posture and, and you can have a very deep practice without doing any of those postures. Mm-hmm. And it leads me to... And again, this isn't a question I probably would have asked you, but just sitting here with you, I'm actually, we are actually live in my den, which is pretty rare because I've only had a few guests really live here. Um, so I'm really honored that she's, you're here with me today. Um, what do you feel about social media and <laughs> the way yoga is portrayed on Instagram and Facebook and to me, it's kind of like I, I hold back on what my practice really for myself. For me, it's really about bringing the nervous system down and um, sort of intimidating seeing 
all these people out there with their headstands and handstands and uh, crazy poses. And, you know, I think to myself, you know, I could do that. But at my age and how much I've evolved, I, why? Just right. like what you were saying before. Like, what is your take on social media? And- you know, I, it's, I, the, the photographer, I'm, 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 very, very, very amateur photographer. I, I love photography. You're very good at it. And okay. I, I love looking at the beauty of these poses, these beautiful, mostly women, in in these postures, in these beautiful settings. Um, but a, a number of things. You see someone doing handstand at the edge of a cliff, this beautiful backdrop. <laughs> I, the, 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 the fear of heights part of me is like, okay, what is that person? And... and but what's, what is driving that person to do that, to get the shot? Um, from a photographer perspective, you know, oh, that's an amazing, incredible shot. Um, from um, a risk perspective, I'm like, okay, please, you, know, you never know what's going to happen in that situation. But I think there's a lot of pressure on... Well, you know, it's funny because like I, thinking about this now, when I first started teaching, I kind of got caught up a little bit in that, in the, I felt the pressure of like, okay, I have to market myself and, and, and put my presence out there. And that so went against my natural personality, which is more actually, funnily enough, more introverted, um, uh, my whole life been more of, of an introvert. Um, and when I go into my teaching mode, when I teach in class, it's, it's really, I kind of say it's not me in a sense. I'm just that vehicle, that vessel, and I'm just sharing what I've learned from my teachers and what they've learned from their teachers. But in the beginning, I, I kind of felt that pressure of sort of putting myself out there, um, to market classes and things. I'm like, okay, I have to put poses out there in social media and I realized at a point that, you know, what message is this sending? Um, you know, is it sort of enforcing the myths of what yoga is about? And, um, and the other thing is too, and there are many well-known teachers that are talking about this as well, that, um, have actually injured themselves by putting themselves into these advanced postures for the photo, these repetitive motions, and they've had injuries. Mm-hmm. And they're starting to speak a little bit about this too. So I haven't seen that. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I did feel that um, initial sort of pressure in the beginning. And then again, sort of like how I chose to use social media started to evolve and I chose to start to speak more about the mindfulness aspect of yoga, the breath, vinyasa. And vinyasa, all vinyasa means is really sequencing movement and coordinating it with breath. Mm -hmm. So you can have a very simple vinyasa practice we typically think of vinyasa as this very strenuous practice, but vinyasa can be very gentle as mm-hmm. well. And what's the definition of vinyasa for the audience? So vinyasa is really a 
a sequence of movements and you coordinate that movement with the breath. So inhaling the arms up into a sun breath, exhaling swan dive down mm -hmm. into a forward fold. So it's this sequence of movement that's linked to the breath. And that's where the real power of yoga can come from when we link that movement with the breath. A.G. Mohan talks about this, that the breath acts as that bridge between body and mind. Mm -hmm. and, and really, without the breath, it really isn't even yoga. It's more exercise. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not going to... Whatever brings someone to their mat, if they enjoy sweating, the exercise mm -hmm. aspect of it, if they love that, then you, you know what? I'm all for whatever brings you to your mat. And then sometimes that's sort of the the entree into the that pathway through the door of like, oh, okay, there's a little bit more. And again, you know, we're not static no. individuals. We're constantly changing. Right. So our thoughts in our 20s evolve and who we were in our 30s, who we were in our 40s. Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'll be in my 60s, 70s if I live that long. Mm -hmm. But um yeah, so so yeah, so I'm I think going back to the social media, I've been trying to consciously sort of I noticed the change that and that I've actually taken too. a social media break as well too recently. I've, I've seen that uh shift. Not that you ever posted a lot and your whatever you posted was so beautiful. Like I love this woman. I do. <laughs> <laughs> I, you're an angel. But um whatever you post is just a you know, you would post a flow at PCYH or something like that. So it wasn't nothing. It wasn't anything extravagant as far as anything crazy. But I've seen that you've shifted a little bit too. Um, but that leads me into um, the when when people post um, pictures of people in shavasana. <laughs> oh yes, and I feel like there's pressure. To like ask my students now, I teach in my home in a cabin in Hillsborough, and um, I just I think once I asked my restorative class, I said, "Could you just pretend that you're <laughs> that you now are sitting and we're centering and, and grounding, and you know your eyes are closed, and could, would I be able to take like a pic or a movie or a, you know a snap or whatever?" Oh yeah, because they've been clients of mine for a long time, uh, people that come into the class, but I felt so uncomfortable doing that. But you see it all the time. How do people do that? Shavasana is the most sacred of poses. And how many times have you seen shots of people in Shavasana? I, I agree. <laughs> like, it, do they ask the people? Do they just take a, it looks like they just take a photo. Now I'm meditating when people are in Shavasana, I'll open my eyes and see if they're okay. But I go back into my meditation and I give like a 20 minute shavasana most most times, which is way it's longer lovely. than a lot of people. But I feel like shavasana is the king of everything. Absolutely. And um, what is your feeling about that? I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know what the story is behind each photo because I do see those same photos. Yeah. 
in the right context, if maybe if you orchestrate the photo of like, okay, I'm looking for volunteers for, <laughs> um, so that I can take a photo of a group of people in Shavasana. And I think that would be fine. People that are like yeah, volunteer they knew to come and forward. they weren't real in real Shavasana. But, um, myself personally, I wouldn't, myself, this is again, sort of like how I feel about this, uh, and sort of without judgment about other people, but, um. I wouldn't ask my class about that because sometimes I think that there'll be a pressure to say yes because we're a society, especially women, I think, that we want to please people. We don't want to come across as confrontational or saying no or to hurt the person's feeling. So someone might say yes, but they really aren't comfortable with it. So, And the thing is they're coming to the class it's their personal experience. It's not about me. It's not about my person. It's not about my experience. It's about their experience. Mm-hmm. So um, personally, if I wanted to create a picture like that, I probably would, I don't know, put a call to, to Facebook or something and say, I'm looking for volunteers to... That's a good way to you know, that, I mean, that, that's sort of one way. I mean, it can't way. be the, that way with every picture I've seen. I just don't... I don't and and who knows? Maybe the people there they are more than happy to right. be if in you that approach photo, it that way and made it a separate but, um, thing. But I would never want to put people on the spot. Yeah. Um, and and because because it, it, really it is. <laughs> um, so you know, sort of maybe orchestra artificially orchestrated to kind of okay, this is what it may look like, but I wouldn't do that in practice. Mm-hmm. That's me. So. I see you have a book. Yes. And I'm not quite sure why you have it, but I'm <laughs> kind of curious. So why don't you tell me? Well, um, you know, we, we talked about sort of that evolution of from going from physical practice to the mental intellectual practice. And now in my 50s, more moving into the spiritual practice. So those other components are still there. Physical practice is still there. Again, more in, I would call it maintenance mode, just Mm -hmm. to maintain what I have. Now, at the same time, knowing, and I'm going to caveat this too, your physical practice evolves over time. And even there's stages of life that, um, you know, during your 20s, teens, your focus is going to be more on the physical practice. Mm -hmm. You're at a different stage of your life. During the period of time where they there is a yogic term that's um, a householder, you have other things going on in your mm-hmm. life. You have your career, you have family to raise and take care of. So you know that could you know depending upon the age of your children can go fifties, sixties, whatever that may be. Um, but then that practice and and that practice. What becomes even more important during that period of your life is the meditation and the breathing practices. There's still the physical practice to maintain, but when you think about it, you're pulled in so many directions. What I know what I needed the most in my 30s and my 40s, I needed stress relief. I needed that to find that sense of peace. Mm-hmm. The pranayama practices, sure. the meditation practices. So when you kind of get beyond that point, you're an empty nester. Uh, there is continuing to be that evolution where your life becomes more of, of service. 
and and being you know I, I like this and when a, a, my teacher Larry Payne talked about this with me that about when I made that shift from corporate to um, you know yoga and it, it's very difficult to earn a living as a yoga teacher mm-hmm. um, but I, the way I felt like my 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 30s and early part of my 40s was about you know earning a living providing for family and such um but now it's more it's it's about i just want to give people even if it's for a few moments a sense of peace and ease and doing what i can to give in service to others mm-hmm. so um I guess sort of to caveat this, first of all, um, when we talk about yoga and spiritual practices, the first thing that people think about is religion. Now, yoga, I'll I'll say this, yoga is not a religion, but the practices are supportive of whatever your religious beliefs are. So whether you're Christian, Jewish, Muslim, Hindu, Buddhist, whether you are an atheist or agnostic and Mm -hmm. you uh, choose to focus on quantum theory Mm -hmm. um yoga is the practices are supportive of whatever your beliefs or if you choose not if you don't have a religious belief Uh, so interestingly enough the the book that i would like to read from um is written by the author alan marinus uh with heart and mind Musar teachings to transform your life. Mm-hmm. Uh, Musar is actually uh, it's associated with the, the the Jewish faith and their ethical uh, practices, life practices to bring more meaning in life. You can look at that yoga very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, yoga has ethical practices and. Again, Patanjali Yoga Sutras, it's sort of like that roadmap to having a meaningful life and the connection to your authentic nature. So, um, again, I, the, the word that I, I, I think about this, when I think about spiritual, and I think the thing that maybe can connect us all, again, regardless of whatever your faith is, or if you choose not to have a religious faith, is the word awe. And... The experience that we all have is, say, especially in a summer night, being outside and looking up at the sky, at the sky full of stars and this sense of wonder and awe. So with that being said, there is a, a Hebrew word that actually I think really kind of um, touches upon when we think about when yoga, the, the goal of yoga is connection to ourself. Mm-hmm. and connection that we're all connected and that we're connected to something greater. So this is a, what I think of when I, when I think of that connection to something greater. So the Hebrew word is yira. So some things we learn through the mind, and this is from um, Alan Marinus's book, uh, With Heart and Mind. Some things we learn through the mind and others through the heart. Yura is an experience of the heart that has the power to transform. 
When translated into English, the word yira can mean variously fear or awe or reverence. It can also describe a single emotional experience that is woven from all three of these inner states, for which there is no word in English. The reverence we are talking about is summed up by the Talmud in a phrase, know before whom you stand. Internalize that teaching and your every moment is turned into an opportunity to elevate your consciousness. Yira can also mean awe. We all have moments of overwhelming, incomprehensible experience in which we transcend the self. Time stands still, and the ordinary boundaries that contain life dissolve in a jaw-dropping revelation of the vast and timeless present, scintillating and luminous. Beautiful. So beautiful, isn't that? And it's I love that. When and when we think about that, when we are in that moment where we find that connection with our true self, when if we're standing outside in the summer sky and just looking at the stars and that sense of wonder, and maybe depending upon where we are, we see lots of stars. Maybe we see shooting stars. Maybe it's cloudy, but it's that sense of wonder and mystery that there is something greater that we are a part of. And it's in those moments that we can drop into just that state of being where it goes beyond time and space. So I find it interesting. You look at the teachings of a variety of religions and there's a lot of commonalities mm -hmm. across all of these, the, these teachings. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I forgot what the question was, but um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that See, we beautiful. were in the moment with this. No, so, no, yeah. we're just talking back and forth, and it doesn't matter what the question was. It led to a beautiful answer, whatever that <laughs> Oh, I think, I think you noticed the, the book. That's right. Oh, wow. See, no, I'm, I'm, really, I said we're, we're in the present moment, so we're, we're really beyond nice. the past I feel that and beyond awe. the future. I walk most days. And I just feel that awe with that connection with nature and, and just in wonder of the trees and they give us life and we give the trees life and it amazes me and I teach my grandson, what do the trees give us? What do we give the trees? It just amazes me that we are, yeah. we're all connected right. in some way. So it's beautiful. Very beautiful. Um, okay. So tell me more about your own path to well-being and self-discovery and the fears and obstacles you encountered along the way. Yeah, so um, you know, as I, you had mentioned that I spent 20 years in, in corporate and um, you know, it, the, the higher that I went up the corporate ladder, uh, I became financially successful um, but I didn't feel like me, less happy I was, and, but I thought that that was, that was my path. And also so much of my identity was tied to my professional career. That's who I thought I was. 
And I think that's actually why a lot of people have that hard time transitioning into retirement. So I don't know what you would call, like I got laid off in 2008. So um, I don't technically consider myself retired. Um, so it's just more of like sort of switching gears. And I didn't know what that yoga would be my path um, at the time that it happened. But um, so it was, I think that that experience was, had a purpose. Sometimes I think, oh, if I found yoga earlier in my life, you know, would I be in a different place? But I think that was the path that I was meant to walk, have those experiences. And by doing so, it, it certainly, it makes me appreciate the moment now. And I can, I have that sort of comparison. And the thing is too, is that when we talk about a path, a path isn't always linear. Mm. So there can be lots of sure. turns along the way and, and that can all be part of it. Mm. Um, obstacles can be part of it. So obstacles that come along our, our path, maybe they're there for a purpose for something for us to experience or a lesson learned from that, um, and again, uh, the, the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, you could say, is sort of like a roadmap to removing obstacles, The whether that's a physical obstacle, being able to sit in meditation, although you don't have to sit in meditation, you can do meditation lying down if you so choose. Um, you can walk in your meditation. Um, but most of those obstacles are, are mental obstacles. And to a large extent, I mean, of course, there's, there are also societal obstacles as well out there. Um, but to a large extent, for many, the obstacles are internal. And mm -hmm. we're our own obstacle. We, create, we have our own sense of fear, fear of what people think, financial fears. There's a whole gamut of what is there. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes it's getting out of our own way and just feeling empowered to live authentically mm -hmm. that's hard yeah that can be really hard mm -hmm. and sometimes we make choices because we we fear that by by living our full life that we're going to make other people feel less right and um being caring individuals, that's not what we want. So sometimes we make choices along the way because we're afraid of what other people are going to think. Yeah, that's a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. But um, really, living small doesn't serve our purpose. And by living our life, it gives people sort of perhaps since we're, I, mean, I have had a few people come to me that you know I've you've inspired me to make some changes and pursue some things in my own life um it, me living my life maybe might not make certain people happy but in the end it's your life and maybe it took me until the age of 50 to kind of get to the point where I felt like okay this comes from within and I have to be true to myself um 
I'm but I eventually got I'm there. I'm nodding. I'm nodding yes. because maybe it is the 50 thing. 50s, 50s. I love yeah. my 50s. You know, I would not go back to my 20s. No. Um, my 30s were cool. 40s were better than my 30s. And I love now my 50s. I'm loving my 50s. I love it. I love it. In every way. In every way. I am. I'm loving it. I Before this podcast comes to a close, I did want to touch upon prana yoga because it's been such a huge influence in my life and that's really where I met you was in prana yoga when I was training and you had already gone through the whole course and um what are you doing with that now are you doing anything with the prana yoga and for those who don't know what prana is if you can explain prana and so prana is uh in in tai chi they would call that chi um in in yoga it's prana uh, it's also, you could call it life force or energy. But um, if you if we t- look a moment at the Panchakosha model, the, that, the five sheaths. So we have the physical body, which is our anatomical existence. So the, the muscles, the bones, this physical structure. The pranamaya is the physiological body where we come into this live human being. Through prana and when we think of prana we think of the breath but it's really it's that energy that life force and by accessing our prana by moving the prana we can optimize our sense of well-being and vitality so uh, it's energy-based chakras and you know whether people believe in the chakras and that chakras are these spinning center these these centers of energy uh these six spinning vortexes and the idea is when the energy is flowing in an optimal way then we experience increased vitality and wellness when the energy is blocked it can be a number of things most people all would be stuck in sort of the first chakra, which is the first chakra, the muladhar. That's our center of where we feel grounded. It's our survival center. So that's where our fear comes up. Mm-hmm. So whether fear can be financial fears or what people are thinking, but that's sort of, that's the foundation. If we don't have that strong foundation, mm-hmm. then sort of the foundation is everything. The second chakra, Svadhisthan, that's our center of joy, our love, our compassion, rather um, our abundance for life, our love for life, um, and also attachments and aversions. So again, most of us kind of live in that era where, especially with society around us mm-hmm. and uh, pressures about what um, it means to be happy. Um, again, we may be stuck in that area. Third chakra, the Manipura, that's our center of courage or strength, the Anahat. Mm-hmm. It's our center of love and compassion. So the idea is to have this strong foundation, the first three chakras, so that we can live from our heart center mm-hmm. and be able to speak our truth. The Vishuddha chakra, that's our throat chakra, that's our center of expression. And know our truth, the Ajna chakra, that's our... Uh, that's the third eye space, and that's our center of intuition. And mm-hmm. then, so as far as that, our connection to something greater. So again, optimize flow of energy, 
and increased sense of well-being. But even if you look at that purely from a psychological perspective, if we live in fear, if we have attachments and aversions, if we feel like we don't have power or strength, then how can we live from our heart space? Right. So, right. Um, so, uh, so, that, so the Pranayoga program uses, uh, which I'm part of the faculty now, I'm, I'm amazed about that, um, but it's a beautiful program that's energy-based and incorporates sounds, pranayama practices, visualizations. And again, it's about that movement and access of prana for increased vitality and wellness. And how did you feel about that the practice and the whole are you still involved with it aren't you involved i'm actually i'm part now? of the i'm part I of the mean, faculty I told now you, I, it absolutely changed my life it was it's, it was it actually and i was actually just having this conversation yesterday the main thing that i actually f- received from the training was that i it gave me the courage and i found my voice I had an absolute fear of public speaking. The idea of actually doing something like this would have petrified me. And I really, that's when at the beginning of the the teacher training program, I'm like, okay, I want to do this for the experience of of it. Um, I really don't want to think about teaching. And I really didn't know if I could teach, whether I could find a voice or be in front of other people and and talk. Uh, So through the practice, talk about another transformation I found I found my true self mm-hmm. and I I found my courage and I found my voice but what I kind of come back to and it was Jeff Migdal who Dr. Jeff Migdal who's the the leader and the founder of the program it's the place where you live from is the heart space and that's really the the, the safest that's your true home mm-hmm. so what I found in the end is if I speak from my heart then every, then it just flows that is so funny you said that. I almost want to cry because it was, I started teaching like before even the program ended and that's how, and you know that I was, had a problem with the whole speaking and reading from notes and and then I released it, released it, released it through the program because I felt more confident and um, I always remember those words. If you, if you teach with love, you're going to be okay. Just teach with, with love and you might have even said that to me. It might have been you. I definitely heard it. Maybe Jeff said it to me to, to the class. But how true is that? Like yeah. if as long as you're coming from a space of love, right? You can't go wrong. Yeah. You really can't. And I've always thought of that before. I always still center and ground before each class I teach. I get nervous sometimes. I'm oh, in a whole different still pop up. Like sure. Things are going on in my home with the dog and with my husband. And I'm like, as soon as I sit down and ground and center and think about coming from this place of love, yeah. I'm good. I'm golden. Yeah. It's all good. And you're just uh, the other thing too, it's like it's I, I joke around sometimes in my class that I'm like, at best I'm a tour guide <laughs> that I offer optional excursions. But in the end, it's your own journey. So um, I'm just sharing a practice. I'm I don't even like to refer to myself as a teacher. Mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just sharing what I've learned. I'm holding a space for other people uh, to ha- have their experience and and feel safe doing so. So uh, at the end of each podcast, I like to talk about an item or something that works for you or even something that might have that you might have tried that didn't work for you. Um, so I'm going to let you think about that a little bit while I'm talking about my item. 
and well it's not really an item but it's something that I like to do pretty much every day I like to do an inversion my inversion is a headstand but most people can't do headstands and it can be dangerous for people with glaucoma or high blood pressure or heart problems so I would like to talk about legs up the wall because pretty much everybody can do that um, and you can Google legs up the wall or YouTube it and figure out a way to get yourself to the wall to make it very comfortable to get your legs up the wall. But it is a very powerful and restorative pose and it will send blood to your core, your heart and your head. Um, it eases stress and helps you sleep. It calms your nerves and it relieves swollen ankles. And most of us are in an upright position all day. I don't really know too many people who walk around inversion all day. But even if you're exercising or doing good things like walking and nature, you're still upright. You're still bringing blood down to the lower extremities. Um, so this will relieve a headache, it improves digestion, and it's pretty much safe for just about everyone. Um, so it's a treat for the heart and brain. It's revitalizing and highly recommended. So that's my <laughs> that's my little thing that I'm sharing with you all on this podcast today. Christine, do you have something you would like to share? Um, well, I'll, I I know I, I talk about this practically in every class. Well, I do talk about this in every class. The breath, and what I love about the breath is that it's portable and it's free and it's accessible to everyone. And I, I got to this point, I, 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 I continue my teachings after the prana yoga teacher training program in uh, the yoga therapy program at Loyola Marymount University. And that's where I really started to see even more about the power of the subtle practices. So the first year, it was all issues with the musculoskeletal system. So there was a weekend on the lower back, a weekend on the upper back, a weekend on the hips. Uh, the second year was all issues with the, the different major systems, so the circulatory system, the respiratory system. There was a weekend on mental health, a weekend on cancer. But the thing that the, the mindfulness practices and the power of the breath and how it's one of the most powerful tools that you have, and it's free, and it, you can carry it with you. And... So the so really the breath and you can use the breath as a form of mindfulness practice. You can do breath meditation. Uh, the other training that I did afterwards, again, sort of tying with the mindfulness, the mental uh, mindfulness aspects of things, was uh, uh, Richard Miller's IRS program, uh, which is yoga nidra, but done in a way that's more accessible. Can you explain yoga? Can you yoga nidra. The term translates to yogic sleep, but you could really say it's more like an awakening, an awakening to your authentic nature. And they actually, they use it in a lot of, um, it's not therapy, but it's used in conjunction uh, oftentimes with therapy, whether it's PTSD, anxiety, depression, um, or just, you know, meeting the demands of life in general, that it, it, teaches you about finding that place within that place of peace and ease so that 
for example, if you are um, currently in, in treatment for, for PTSD, and uh, one of the, um, Richard Miller talks about this, that um, he described that this one person who, who was a war vet and going through therapy for, for PTSD, and he said, now every other form of therapy was talking about what was broken with him. This was talking about what was right with him. And it's like, now that I know this, I'm ready to face my worst nightmares. So again, it's the teachings of yoga, the breath. And I, I love the breath because it's one of the easiest mindfulness practices that you can find. Just mm-hmm. follow the inflow and the outflow of the breath. The mind likes being given things to do. The more things that you give it to do, then we don't get caught in these recursive negative thought loops. Mm-hmm. And it gives us tools to meet us wherever we are because life is challenging and it's we can be, whether it's in a chaotic situation, just giving us tools to help us through the day mm-hmm. and know that there's part of you that is completely whole beyond need, beyond lack, beyond desire, that is complete and perfect, just as it is, and regardless of what's happening in your life. And there may be, because certainly when we have meditation practices, there are are thoughts that come in, and some of the practices say note it and put it to a side, but then that can be a form of suppressing those thoughts. So we need to... These thoughts are real. They're part of us. Feelings, thoughts, emotions, whatever comes to us, that's part of us. It's part of being a human being. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trying to say like, okay, kind of push them to a side. So through the breath, through mindfulness, uh, yeah, those those are the... Your mama was right. Go to your room and take a few deep breaths. Yeah, yeah. Everything that comes back to the things that grandmother... But my mama said it all the time. Chew, chew your food helps with digestion. Chewing your food helps chewing with digestion. <laughs> the things that grandmother talked to us about, they all right. come back and like, yes, grandma was right. Right. Well, <laughs> this has been really, really sweet. Um, where can people get in touch with you? Do you have social media? Do you have a website? Uh, on social media, Christine Lisa Yoga on Instagram. And on Christine Lee Sun Facebook, and I have a gabalayoga.com is my website. Okay. Do you want to spell that? G A B A L Y O G A.com. Okay. This has been really great. My hope is that you, as a listener, will come away from this podcast with a tidbit of information that inspires you in some way towards a healthier you. Um, Thank you for joining us today on It's a New Dawn for You. Our show today was directed and edited by Sharon Ellis Murray. Our theme song is called Dear I, written and performed by my own son, Angelo Michael, and available at bandcamp.com. And I'm your host, Lenora Calaruso, wishing you everlasting health and wellness. You can ask questions and find me on Instagram at It's a New Dawn for You, Mind, Body, Spirit, or Facebook at It's a New Dawn. Remember, there is always a chance to start anew. Your thoughts and actions shape your reality, and you are the captain of your ship. Peace out. Hashtag spread 
kindness. You pack up your life to start anew. You'll find out some things to be true. Like you are stronger than you once knew.